surrounded by org charts. This is because we have the different areas of operations on the organization, and this is a piece of the project. Um, and I'm looking at stuff over here. It's I need I I always need this stuff in front of me. I forget the names of my friends too often. So I've, I've right. got it, it's um, I'm in a working situation here, Howard. You know, you're looking at some kind of version of command and control. <laughs> no, it's it's really quite impressive. Listen, there's so here's what you got to promise me. Right now, you're in your situation room. You're commandeering a big effort that I applaud you for. This testing and training people in the communities to give tests. I, I can't tell you how impressive that is. And I want to give out the uh, address where people can donate because it's a real good cause. But we got to sit down one time. Seriously. I know you, you know, listen, you're busy. But when this is over, I want you to promise me we sit down. We start with your high school. I mean, you were, you were in high school with Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez and all these dudes. It's a charmed life, if you ask me. By the way, when you just said you had trauma in your life, that's why you went into psychotherapy. What was the trauma? Was it maybe your parents? You know, it's interesting. Uh, what I learned more in that uh, trauma seminar was about, uh, you know, was I learned about trauma. I had great parents. I'm from a really, really lucky club. And, you know, they, they refer to trauma sometimes as the big T's and the little T's. And, yeah, we can all find little T's, little moments where something happened that you can kind of in a minor way call trauma. But I, I, I had a lot of trouble convincing um, very good therapists that, uh, that that there wasn't something I wasn't remembering, something I blocked because of the way that I created, created my own demon doors after I left my parents' house and found that I had some kind of uh, brain structure that, that, that created problems and devastations for myself um, that had nothing to do with the traditional pattern of parenting. Um, you know, in fact, it, were, it was counterpoint to, to, to the kind of, you know, just sense of joy that my parents uh, um, encouraged in, in myself and my brothers. Um, yeah, but why do you think you didn't speak outside of the house until you were five years old? There was something going on inside of you. In other words, th th there was something brewing there. When you are afraid to speak, you know, well, unless you're home, there must have I, been something traumatizing. You know, I remember that period fondly, and I remember it as kind of, you know, practicing the way that I might articulate something that I wanted it was more like when you're some, like if someone's learning a language and they're shy to use the language. It takes a lot longer uh, if you're shy to use the language, you know, out in your life. But I think I was kind of more a personality that, you know, in the language of addressing anything that I that I wanted to process and think about as a very young boy. Uh, I didn't feel uh, fearful. Uh, in sh being shy, I didn't feel fearful. If anything, I, I, it may circle back to arrogance. I think I was born with the arrogance of uh, knowing some things that adults didn't know. You know, we the the trauma of our generation, uh, if anything, was televised. It was the Vietnam War, and and just as if there was a trauma traumatic thought that I had, it was the very clear thought that. It didn't make any sense for us. For uh, grown-ups were out there killing each other. It just didn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense to see the muscle cars on blocks on my street 
that were up with the flag waving over them because the older brother of a friend of mine was serving overseas in this in this thing that a child could look at and know uh, we should not be engaged in. Not for I was not politically minded, just humanly. It 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 made me think that adults were stupid. You got to answer one last question, guy like you. And you seem pretty cool. You know what I mean? Do you and, and give me the truthful answer? Don't bullshit me. Do you go back and watch your old movies? Like I, I just went back and watched Dead Man Walking. That's a fucking brilliant movie. I mean, I love that movie. And what a head of hair you have. Uh, you know what? What? what do, do you watch these movies with the kids to show them how great you are, or do you just like kind of blow that off? No, if I, if I, um, if I, uh, if I stumble on a movie that was a good experience. I, I'll, you know, stumble by I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I go off of either forensic files or, or a news channel for a second. Uh, and oh, there's that movie. Oh, I remember that person and so on and so forth. Oh, that, and, and I might catch myself watching a half hour uh, of, of something like that. But I, I think that, you know, what you walk away from with the movie once you've, you know, completed it, depending upon the level of investment that was invite, invited or not by the, the filmmakers you work with, you know, if you were part of the process or if you were just an actor for hire, all of those things affect the way that you might look back on, on something and find interest in, in reviewing it later. But, but, but for the most part, there was a line in that movie when I was a teenager, the gumball rally where the Italian driver said that, the first rule of Italian driving, and he pulled the rear view mirror off, is uh, what's what's behind you does not matter. And I, I I generally am of that nature. I just it it doesn't occur to me to to to, to watch uh, the movies, uh, but I don't necessarily turn them off if I if I saw a little Fast Times at Ridgemont High was on TV and I stumbled on it, I'd watch a few scenes. Absolutely. I mean, when you walk into that classroom the first time with the, the guy from My Favorite Martian, it's fucking brilliant. I mean, when you and the shirts open, no respect for the classroom and you're clueless. When you tumble out of that that van, that that was great. That the van is filled with smoke. You just you tumble out onto the ground. <laughs> yeah. I- what what uh, what's the worst? OK, I'll sum this up. What's the worst experience you ever had on a movie? The worst experience I ever had, I typically, I, I've the, 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 when I've directed, has been the best time I've ever had uh, directing movies. I had a, I did one movie as a director where I was working. I, I, I'd always had great relationships with actors uh, on set, and and I, I found myself working with a couple of couple of actors, a lot of really great experiences on the movie as well, uh, but really talented people, but they, I, I, at a certain point, I didn't know what was the conflict, why there was resistance to talk about the work after the clock was punched, the kind of continuity of, of mission together. And I, I sum it up as a generation, largely, not entirely, of actors who are more interested in selling movies than making them. And are on their cell phones, you know, pro, kind of staying in the loop of um, sending out, uh, you know, social messaging about the, the, the movie they shot a year ago that's coming out and doing things that 
that where there's, there was lack of what I consider kind of mission focus or common focus, which is part of what I love about making movies is that, that kind of family that creates together. Nobody, no director directs alone. You do it with all of these inputs and it, and without a continuity, if you felt you couldn't make a call after work that day and say, Hey, when we did the scene today, don't you think maybe tomorrow in the scene, it'd be great if we inserted this color because we didn't get that in this one or whatever it is that you're, you're trying to, the picture you're trying to paint. And I, and, and, and that was a, a, a surprisingly or unsurprisingly, uh, a deeply disappointing and, and kind of discouraging experience. I didn't think I'd ever want to make a movie again. And then I made a movie this last year, uh, starring my daughter and had, in the, the, the antithesis of that experience, just a great thing. So I am a, a recovered uh, filmmaker. Yeah, it would have been great if your daughter like was on her cell phone the whole time you were trying to make a movie with her. <laughs> no, Dad, like, you know, I don't want to discuss it. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to discuss my... But you would think anybody who's an actor who's working with Sean Penn and you're directing them, you would think it would be their joy to sit there with you and get a deep, deep analysis of that character. You know what I mean? I mean, you've, you've, you've done enough movies where you've proven yourself. You, at the very least, you think that person would say, hey, maybe I could learn something from this guy. I don't know. Um, I, I will say, say that, I, that I do embody that conceit, and I was surprised. But, but, but that was the one. Most of the time, the bigger the disappointments are, are come because, you know, the best efforts, even with good material, sometimes – once they go through the kitchen, uh, you know, come out the other side disappointing, even, even, even in good experiences. And when something really works, um, it's, you know, that's, that's exciting. You know, when Jack you really, Nicholson said you were a great director. You can't get any better accolades than that. Boy, that guy, he's that, that guy is a uh, Joycey and you talk about an IQ, the, the kind of Joycey and intelligence of him. And, and he, he's just, he is a, a a director's dream, an angel on your shoulder. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a world in my imagination where I just would have made movies with Jack for the, the you know, for both of our lives. Uh, Isn't yeah. it intimidating uh, though, man, when you got a guy like that, I mean, do you, do you get nervous before you direct a film or do you, or you or acting in a film? Do you get nervous or are you kind of in the zone now and it's just not an issue? Well, the first time I directed a movie, it, it was something that I'd written. So you spend the time alone in a room imagining something still mostly as a film fan, which is what, you know, our lives are dominated by in terms of film. If we stay, stay with it, we're mostly a fan first and, and certainly of someone like, like Jack. The first movie I was doing, uh, you know, it went from me alone in a room writing a script to somebody surprisingly saying, yeah, let's do this. And the next thing you know, you're on a movie set with, a lot of professionals and a lot of big trucks and a lot of money uh, pressure on your shoulders. And you look around and you say, where are the adults? Who's going to call the plumber? Um, <laughs> but, but, but then you, you, you find rhythm and then you work with someone like Jack, you know, I suppose one could be intimidated, but he wouldn't let that happen. He, you know, a pro and, and who's as talented as that is comfortable in themselves enough to, to know that the way a movie works is the sum of the parts that the director is going to have to do. And he's, he's there to help you. And when, uh, and when that, these movies come out, Sean, do you, are you one of those guys that looks at the bottom line? Do you watch the box office? I mean, on some level it is a business and the only way you get to do another one, even as an actor, were you very consumed with the box office gross and, 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 and how that turned out? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I never even considered that, um, 
through the time that I made the first film as a director. So I'd already been working al almost a decade as an actor and never thought about that. I always just thought it was, this, you know, it, it, what a great success. We got to make the movie and you open up the newspaper and there's an advertisement. It's actually out and available. I never counted theaters or knew to. It just wasn't something that occurred to me. And then, I, you know, and then you become aware and have a care of the distribution. You want, you know, if you're not do making something to be shared, uh, then I don't know what you're doing, right? So you want to get it out and shared. That said, um, I have had disappointments when I felt that uh, studios didn't commit or have uh, enough resources to something, didn't have enough faith in something that I thought had more value than it got. Or, you know, there have been other times where, uh, it, you know, things just didn't appeal to audiences. And, and it, you know, you just have to kind of take that with the game. But I, yeah, I pay attention to it, not in the kind of way where Monday morning, what are the, you know, you know, the receipts, but are they going to expand the amount of theaters? Did we get enough response that this thing is going to, you know, with this thing we all worked so hard on, um, is going to have a life. And, and today it's very strange because, you know, the movies I fell in love with, I often, what I refer to as the girl I fell in love with was the big screen and the strangers in the dark room. And the only movies most of the time that we're seeing in those contexts are, are the razzle dazzle, you know, big effect movies and the things of thought are now on television, which is just not a love. It's a, it's a like. I can watch it and appreciate things on television. There's, uh, you know, some of these things are really brilliantly uh, written and directed and acted. That show Succession is is a beast. I love watching that, but it's a very different experience than 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 what what I long for, which is that theatrical experience with, with in a movie that you know these days you break the law if you put three thoughts into it. Um, but I think that that may change too over the course of this new evolution we're going through as a culture. And we look at what happened after the Vietnam War in terms of the United American cinema. We had revolutionary American cinema because we were forced into thought. A lot of people probably think that we're going to just want feel good movies and this kind of, and the razzle dazzle when we get out and this thing gets disarmed. But I'm, I'm not so sure. I think that, that, that uh, people are sick of deception. They're sick of being kind of you know, smoke and mirrors and, and, and they just may kind of cuddle together and, and look for something uh, more provocative, more part of the life that they live, more, more of a, more of a human experience. Uh, but, but remains to be seen. Uh, I hope something like that comes back. What film are you most proud of that you, is it milk? I, I, this is my fantasy that you're going to say milk. I'm, I'm betting on, I have money on this. The one that you love the most, that if you saw it on TV right now, if you, you were tuning by, you were sitting there with your kids or something, it would be milk, right? You know, I don't know if I've ever thought that through. Um, certainly that movie, you know, that, that's Gus Van Zandt, almost everything he touches, he touches for its own sake, you know, in the sense that he gives himself to, the style that the, that the story dictates. He's, he's got, you know, that, that, that rarest human quality uh, of humility and, and yet incredible talent. So as much as any movie I've ever been involved in, Milk also, you know, the, the Harvey Milk is a character, such a, you know, touching, intelligent guy. One of the heartbreakers related to that is, uh, the, his assassination happened right on the cusp of the, the plague of HIV AIDS. And this would have been such an incredibly important force of leadership had he not been killed. 
never more would he have been needed. And it's just, it's interesting how that happens in, in, in a lot of human history. Um, and so, you know, now we look for leaders, you know, and we're seeing them rise up from grassroots movements and so on. You know, my organization by accident and Howard, you and I will be annoyed by this. I, I'm looking at our after action reviews every day, building as we take on new areas of operations and I'll see more boxes with little faces of the people that we're hiring as leads because they've proven themselves over the initial weeks as intelligent, hard, tough, smart. And at some point I'm looking at the screen and I guess this is a reflection of something somebody said to me when I was a kid, which was the toughest guy on the block is the one with the least to lose. Well, as it turns out, the toughest guy on the block is not a guy. We are, without strategizing it this way, the organization is 90%, 90% led by young women. And that's who ended up in the cream of the crop. And I don't, I don't think that that's because uh, us fellas are, are less, but I think that we have, um, in some part of us, gotten lazy in the assumption uh, that only we could do it. And in that void, uh, women have stepped up in a way uh, that they've always been capable of, but probably kept away from and, and, and took me blindsided. Uh, but it's, it's again, I don't know why, uh, but I find it really, really uh, encouraging. Yeah. Some of my best professional associations have been with women. Um, when women headed up a pro, even when I got to do a movie, I mean, you've done a million of them. I got to do one with Betty Thomas as the director. It was just yeah. a pure joy. And I felt my theory on that was, that women tend to, this is where they're different than men. Men come out of something and they go, I'm an expert right away. They don't want to take the time to learn the craft. They might just want to be an expert right away. You don't want to stop at the gas station and ask directions. Right. That's it. <laughs> women actually like kind of study the thing and then, and then take it on. Who knows? Listen, I don't want to keep you all day. I, I, first of all, there's a million things to talk about. We, you know, we're in the middle of a crisis with this COVID-19 and you, you did a good solid thing today. You reminded people that we're still in this. Uh, this is my, my pet peeve. I'm on the air every day screaming. We're in the middle of this thing and, uh, it's not over and we got to be aware of that. And it's going to be a second wave. It's not if it's going to be when. And yeah. I'm glad you're reminding people that. And more importantly, I'm glad that your organization, which I encourage everyone to go to corresponse.org to donate, volunteer, learn more about core and free COVID-19 testing. Go figure this. Sean Penn is out there testing people. He's putting well, together you also haven't talked about when is the table read happening, Howard? I'm getting to the or table not read. table read. What? Well, I don't know. Sean is going to be there watching it, but who is playing Spicoli if not you? I'm going to participate. I'm just not supposed to announce what part. You know, this is something, again, like I say, this is Dane, Dane Cook's uh, invention, and he's generously put it together, and, and he's got an extraordinary group of people. Uh, so it'll, I think it'll be a lot of fun and maybe a breath of, uh, you know, fresh air during the course of all of this. You know, sometimes, uh, sometimes it's nice to have dessert with your meal. I think it'll be, uh, you know, it'll be, a, it'll be fun. And you got to and you got to sit down with me and describe this. I don't know anything about this. This method acting, you know. I mean, are you one of those guys like uh, you know when you're in a character like if you're at the craft service table, like if you're playing Abraham Lincoln or something, do I have to call you Abraham Lincoln or do, do can I call you Sean Penn? I mean, where how deep does this thing go? 
Well, every movie is different. Every time, every time you, you, you don't plan when you're going to go and make a movie and, and the access to your toolkit, you know, comes in different ways. I think that the, that the more experience you have, probably you can let yourself be a little bit more. I think earlier in my career, there was more of what you're describing. It helped me, uh, not be self-conscious if, you know, in making a shift. Uh, into a, a, a rhythm of character uh, just because somebody said action where I might at times find that shift easier to make now with certain parts. Other times you invest differently. You, you know, my acting teacher who came very much from the method principal, Peggy Fury had an overriding view, uh, which is something I, I carry into, you know, disaster response, which is whatever works. And that can, that's an evolving thing. And, and it, uh, sometimes you you go back and practice in a way that worked before that's applicable in a in, in a new situation. And other times you got to find a whole new way in. I think as long as people find a way, as actors find a way to feel free in front of the camera, to be able to surprise themselves a little bit with what comes out, that uh, that's a that's you're off to a good start. I know what you mean. I can't imagine when you start a film. Sometimes you sit there and go. Am I coming off completely unbelievable? Am I being a moron? Am I am I acting like an idiot? Am I doing the worst thing possible? You, you must be so self-conscious when you start a new character. You know what I mean? Many, many times. Again, I've had I've had things where from the moment I read it, I knew I was ready to engage uh, without self-consciousness. Other times, uh, still, it, it's not it's not that that went away. It's that you know this actor in that role with that director. Uh, came with confidence to begin with other times I've, I've started as a wreck and had to build it from, you know, the, the tip of the shoe up through the sole and up the leg and, you know, up to the top. But um, yeah, it's all, it's all different. It's what makes it interesting and challenging. Um, it's also what makes it kind of crazy making at times. Like when you played Harvey Milk, you were, you were running tapes of this guy, right? Constantly in your trailer or wherever the hell you were. You would just watch him over and over and over again. Is it, in a sense, an impression of the guy, or is it to help you become the guy? You know, I I am not very good at impressions. I'm not good at a lot of that kind of stuff. My kids rightly say, you know, off screen, I'm the worst actor in the world. You know, whether I'm thinking I'm being funny or doing an impression, uh, the, the the impression, and you won't get it out of me here. But maybe, you know, in a bar someday. Um, the impression my kids request most is, um, for me to do, uh, Tony in Scarface. And I, I've seen that people do that impression and they do it really, really well. I am not those people, but I do it, um, robustly and, uh, I'm not able to do it at all. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's for me, there's a kind of, empowerment that happens between action and cut on the film because it doesn't have to do with me at, at, at best with milk. Here was a guy who notwithstanding the, uh, you know, all this, the, the uh, uh, s- sexual rights and, you know, uh, gay rights, uh, you know, that he w- was a heroic symbol of and, 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 and leader in, just this person as a man watching him, and there's a lot of archival footage of it, creates such a, you feel such a love and affection. It, 
I, I increasingly, as I was moving towards making that movie, just felt this sorrow that I would never have, never get to meet him. It was somebody who wanted to know, wanted to know that kind of person to touch your life. And the people that had known him were so affected by him. And so it's kind of like uh, a song that touches you deeply. And then, you know, a lot of actors will play music on a set, you know, to get themselves in a place. I didn't have to do that when it came to onset uh, because, you know, he had become the song in my life at that time. And then being able to, to go to set, work on this real wonderful project with, the, with Gus Van Zandt, who's just extraordinary, gentle, humble. Uh, everybody just felt in service of something and, and, and had that song to, to, to play together too. That was a unique, uh, experience in that way. The other thing I would do is where I would play music because I had queued up as I would come over to Visadero in San Francisco as I'd come down towards the Castro district where we shot a lot of the movie and where that whole movement had, had birthed and was so invigorated. Uh, during the time of Harvey Milk. And as you'd come over the summit of that hill, uh, boom, there was the Castro. And just my, my buddy Chet and I, as a, he was, he's, he's my driver on movies. Uh, and he's like this, this tough, you know, fire plug New Yorker. And he, he knew <laughs> that as we're about to summit the hill and, and see the Castro below on our way to work, he'd hit the, the D, the CD. And we'd be blasting "It's Raining Men." <laughs> <laughs> I get you into it, huh? And then I was right there. I was going. I was going to to dance with the fellas. You bet. And you must have had some great experiences in life. I'm, I'm thinking you you got to know Bruce Springsteen, right? Because you directed that video, and you know you must you must have a. Do you ever meet Belushi? Did you know him at all? No, I did meet John Belushi. I'll tell you what happened at one time. And it was right when I started, I remember I had done my first movie and Tom Cruise was in the movie. The two of us came out to California. We shot in Pennsylvania and we were, my, my parents had a guest house out here and he and I were staying there while we were trying to, now we were trying to find movie agents. We got, I got the movie from doing a play in New York and I didn't, I had a theatrical agent, but I didn't have a movie agent. So it was time to come to California and get an agent. I'd been living in New York at that time. And, uh, and Tom and I were meeting with agents. We were both, you know, kind of, there was a lot of buzz about this, all these young guys in this movie, we're going to have careers. And so the agents were meeting with us. And I remember this agent took us out to dinner at this place on the corner of Highland and Santa Monica, I think. I don't know if it's there anymore. And we, we, we stayed and, and drank and talked to her. Uh, she later became his partner, producing partner, Paula Wagner. And so we had, we ended up having a late dinner and then seeing her to her car, that was a valet. And then we gave the valet our ticket and we're standing there on an almost empty street, dark, late night. And a car, a convertible pulls up and there's two guys in the car. And you can check this story with the, uh, the fella that played Father Guido Sarducci on Saturday Night Live. You guys pull up. And the guy, and I'm thinking, the passenger in that car is friggin' Father Guido Sarducci. And then I look at the driver, and the driver looks at me. And the driver asks me, do you know where the Chateau Marmont is, a hotel over on Sunset, which is where John Belushi ultimately died many years later. 
And it was not possible that John Belushi didn't know where the Chateau Marmont was. So I don't know in what way he was messing with our heads, but they saw these two young guys, I guess, assume they were actors and they blow our minds and they pulled over right in front of eight feet away from us and, and asked directions to the Chateau Marmont. And I answered, I said, you know where the Chateau Marmont is. He laughed and he pulled away. That's the only time I ever. <laughs> oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. And by the way, that movie was taps that you and. Uh, yes. Uh, with Tom yeah, Cruise. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, hey, listen. So sometime you do the interview. We'll go through every fucking movie. We'll talk about it all. We'll talk about who was an asshole. We'll talk about who was great. We'll get it all down. Don't, we'll get it out. We want to see if anybody uh, t- stayed tuned in on this one before you bring me back on. <laughs> who cares? No, you did the right thing. What you're doing is great. Um, listen, Sean, I'm going to let you go because I know you have a, a whole thing with Governor Cuomo today. Um, Sean is a guy who is really trying to do something during COVID-19 and I approve of this. I applaud this. Uh, if I was, uh, not so lazy, I would be doing something like this. You know what? I was just going to ask you, Howard, does this inspire you yes, to it get does. involved? That's right. I, um, well, no, it inspired me. I'm going to go into filmmaking now. <laughs> go on the website, Howard, and you'll see the volunteer zone. I got to tell you, the organization works because we work with governance. For example, you, you know, the, the, the Cuomo is extraordinary and, and, and the support we're getting there in partnerships is extraordinary. But we got birthed here in California under these, this great Governor Newsom and, 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 and equally Mayor Garcetti. And they're, they've been really, so, you know, there are good symbols in governance and we do need governance. You know, this whole conversation, but defund yes. the, everything. We got to not be pendulum swingers on this stuff. We got to really figure out a center that's going to help us and, and move us forward. You're right. I am not a, a cynical guy who says all government is bad. I don't sit there and say every, every politician is just in it for themselves or they're in it to, you know, to get rich or whatever. I do believe there are good people out there who really want to help. Who are and- working their asses off in an impossible friggin' job with this. The way that this constant scrutiny, you know, with social media, too much information in the news, some so much of it not really, you know, taking time on a 24-hour news cycle to be researched properly. And you're I right. Think a lot you're of right. white noise yeah, for, for leadership. No, oh, you're right. I mean, it, I don't know. You know, you know what Sean is doing with this uh, testing and stuff, this is the boring stuff of government. It's not the exciting part where you go out and you get in front of crowds and you're campaigning and this and that. It's actually running an organization, getting people tested. There's a lot that goes into this. They need money. They need volunteers. They need this kind of thing. So uh, Sean's out there doing it. Uh, I applaud you for it. I'm glad you spoke about it. It gives me comfort to know that somebody out there is agreeing with me. I see people I know. They're running around like nothing's happening. We'll see. I think those chickens are going to come home to roost. When we see a second surge, and I don't mean to be negative and I don't mean to be a downer, but we got an active virus out there and it's fucking with us and it's killing people. And uh, look, something's got to be done and someone's got to take it seriously and and go figure. It's Sean Penn who's doing it, as Sean says. You know, and I think that, the you know, not thinking about the frontline workers and what they've already been through so that you take care of yourself is a real detriment. It's a real kick in the ass to people who've been there for us. 
Yeah, I'm worried Sean's going to kill himself with all those cigarettes he's smoking. <laughs> what happens if you... He won't have a hospital to go to. <laughs> you've done 10 cigarettes during this interview. That's like Were you the, counting, the end, too? Because I was going to talk to you about that. <laughs> Sean, at the end of the day, you're going to be up to 100 fucking cigarettes. Well, cigarettes are stupid. I'm here. I'm, that's, I want to go on the record. You're right. You're, I have no defense. Raise your right hand now and, and say to me that I am quitting today cigarettes. Go ahead. Raise it. I, After I the one you've got now. Yeah, yeah, of course, finish the one you have. <laughs> I can't get the, the, I can't raise my arm higher than about here. All right. All right, listen, go to, go to coreresponse.org to, to learn something about this, to donate, to volunteer, to learn more about core and free COVID-19 testing. Sean Penn, great actor. I'll get him, uh, we'll, we'll get a hold of him one time when this thing is over. Just sit him down. You know what we're going to talk about. Yeah, well, we're not in the middle of a crisis. Yeah. Right. I mean, once he solves this crisis, then I can talk acting again, and we'll get over that. But, uh, Sean, thanks for doing this today and giving me so much time. I appreciate you. You bet. Thank you very much, both of you. Later. There he is, Sean Penn. He's got Bye. a chart. He's got a chart of all the women he's had sex with in his life behind him, which was very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> that was only part of it. There was another part in front of it. Can you imagine... I mean, I applaud Sean Penn, but can you imagine that this guy, this is a mind-blowing thing. He is running an organization to help people get tested because we can't get this organized. I've never seen our government so impotent. Well, this is what I've been saying all along, that he's supposed to just be able to be Spicoli. That's right. He should be That's doing... enough for us from him. Yeah. He shouldn't have to do all of this, too. There's a government for that. Look, it's a disaster. But look, this is a guy doing something. You got to applaud it. Uh, oh, I do. Him. I mean, he's amazing. Yeah. I thought he was amazing before. And now I'm even more amazed. I said, what do I do at this press conference today when he's there with Governor Cuomo? Who do I look at? Well, you look. Where at Sean. do I he, put my attention? I'm now well, you look at Sean. two men. <laughs> no, you look at Sean because he's the biggest star. You know. Oh, really? Always. Is that all there is for you? For me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, listen, it, two people know, this, certainly to admire. Yeah. I got no problem with what he's doing. This is uh, just awesome. He's training people to give the test for COVID nineteen, and he's getting out there and doing it. Me? Yeah, so that people who need to do other jobs will be free to do them. Believe me, I know I look bad right now. I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting That's there. right. You're sitting there, and he's doing so much, and you're yelling at people for not wearing a mask when you go for a walk. Here's the bigger question. I should have asked Sean this, but I'm thinking about it now. Will Sean light up a cigarette during the press conference? Oh, how does he get through a press conference without a cigarette? Did you see the yeah. rate at which he was smoking? He can't be without one. What I'm saying, this guy's under a lot of stress. You Hell. should marry him. You should marry him. Oh, no, I, brain, the but. way he was describing what he's like, that would not work <laughs> at all. Well, I really do want to. You see, I have a lot of, like, fan-type questions of uh, Sean Penn, and I... You know, the, the, all right, this is an unusual time when we're talking COVID. Yeah, today was not the day for it. No, no, he's he's got a real message. He's actually doing something. But it, I could go through almost every one of his movies, at least that I've seen. 
And I got very specific questions. And, uh, you know. Even the Castro stuff was that you did get to today was fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I... And I wanted to get through El Chapo and all, but, but this right. This, I need about ten hours with the guy. That's the and, problem. And think about that. He got El Chapo. Yeah, he captured El Chapo. <laughs> he did. That's how they found him. So not only does he do testing, he rounds up the biggest drug uh, dealers and all that stuff. Yeah. Anyway, I, I really do want to encourage you to check out what he's doing. It's pretty remarkable. Uh, CoreResponse.org. And uh, free COVID-19 testing. That's what he's doing. That's what we yeah. need. Yeah. Well, I think my theater group will be interested in this uh, table read experience. Oh, that you're still in that, that theater group? Oh, we love it. I told you. We do it every uh, two weeks. It's awesome. Yeah. Lose my phone number for that. <laughs> I'm going to get you in on this. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, so there, there it is. Now you know what Sean Penn's up to, and you know what he's doing. And what are you up to? You're sitting there okay, doing well, nothing. That's true. Not you. I'm talking to you. No, I'm talking to me. <laughs> what I'm doing is I'm yelling at my neighbors to put their masks on. I'm not even doing that. I'm actually yelling to Beth about how That's our neighbors right. should You don't even talk to the neighbors. You don't say well, anything to them. I'm busy. Well, listen, I don't want to cause trouble. <laughs> I am so the opposite of Sean Penn. Like, I would never go to Haiti. I would never go to Cuba. I would never go anywhere to any foreign country. Didn't he I say Iraq, t- too? He went to Iraq. Again, there's not enough time, but he went to Iraq during the Iraq war to see what was happening. When he came back, the Bush administration was pissed off at him for talking out. And they, I don't know, they set up some sort of like little, I want to call it an audit, you know. Yeah, just try to put some pressure on him. Yeah. And that's fucked up. I mean, that would be the major trauma of my life. You know, people coming after you just for going over and looking over things in Iraq to see what's happening. And uh, I don't know. And El Chapo, you think I would go somewhere and interview El Chapo? Fuck that. I don't want that guy fucking with me. Yeah, I mean, when- he didn't interview him in jail. No, he went up into some hideaway. <laughs> I know. think he had to be blindfolded and taken. <laughs> That's why we got to get we got to oh. get rid of this COVID-19 and get that guy in the studio. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would literally go through like, what is it? Like, what do you pack for your trip to go visit El Chapo? Uh, and mean, who takes you to El Chapo? You know, those are some of his people. Oh, here. Sean went to Iraq twice. He was investigated by the U.S. Office of Foreign Asset Control. So, Whatever that is. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway, I'm um, going to wrap up the show, and we'll be back uh, tomorrow. What are we doing tomorrow? Oh, I should probably make oh, sure we have a Pete sponsor Davidson here. tomorrow. Yeah, Pete Davidson. He, you know... Let me just say something to Pete in advance. I don't know that I'm going to get to see your movie because yesterday I spent all day installing this app. You should have seen what I had to fill out to get the app. And today what I plan to. What are you talking to, about? There was just all kinds of codes and numbers. And then uh, my system is so fucked up. So no, today I'm going to try and Apple get it. TV? If I go with this thing and I try to pause the movie, uh-huh. Uh-huh. it starts again from the beginning. Oh, dear. I mean, I'm telling you, 
But there you go. This is interesting. Donald Trump's on a tweet storm. He tweeted 22 times during Sean Penn's interview, but not once about COVID-19. That's my point. This virus is raging. And I don't know why it's like being ignored by the Fed. He can't talk about the virus because, again, he has no plan. He didn't handle it well. He wants this to go away. I gotta, we gotta pull that commercial tomorrow where he's congratulating himself for how great everything is going. I want to thank Blackened American Whiskey. This is a collaboration from Metallica and legendary distiller Dave Pickerel. Blackened Whiskey remastered by Metallica. Pretty insane. Good stuff, according to Fla Fla Flohai, who was drinking it. A couple of the other guys have a bottle or two or hanging around. Uh, what else? Oh, yeah. So tomorrow, Pete Davidson. Talk to him. He's got a movie. I think he's living in his mom's basement through this whole thing. Well, I hope. Well, maybe he is. I don't know. Because, right. you know, he's made a movie. He can afford to live somewhere. <laughs> I think he likes it there. <laughs> no, he's a, he's in the basement. I saw him on uh, CBS Sunday morning the other day. He's totally in the basement. Oh, my is it God. a tricked out basement? I mean, is it a really nice basement? <clears throat> I guess he fixed it up. They didn't go in the basement. They did the interview from outside, but he says it's in pretty good shape. Wow. He didn't want to show him the basement. That's how nice it is. <laughs> Movie's called Maybe The King of it. Staten Island. He's living in yeah. Staten Island, right? Yeah. Well, yep. that's where he grew up. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and one other piece of uh, just a note. Did you know that the village people fired the police officer? No. The guy who, they who kicked on the him police? out of the group. Because of what happened? Uh, because of the George Floyd incident. They just, you know, and he was like, look, I'll wear another outfit. I'll do some other character. They said, no, 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 you have too much association with the police department. And I think he was a former police officer. Oh, my God. That's really cold. Yeah. The police what officer in the village people was fired? Now? <laughs> I thought he was a really terrific cop. He was. He wasn't doing anything wrong, but they no. said, nope, nope, nope. Sorry, we got to get uh, rid of you. I don't like that. I don't know that much about it, but it's wrong. I, what did he I do? couldn't believe that when I read it yesterday. I was like, what? The village people have thrown out the, the police officer. Maybe he beat up the Indian in the village <laughs> people and they had to get him out of there. Maybe he was being aggressive. Maybe there is more to the story. I don't know. Yeah. I, I never. I can't even believe what you're telling Howard? me. Yeah. <laughs> Howard? Yeah. Howard? I'm pretty sure the story is fake. Uh, oh, sorry, you Bob. think it's fake? Yeah, I looked it Robin. up. It's from a satirical news website. Oh, yeah, I was okay. going to say. Well, I just saw it there hanging out with the rest of the news. <laughs> the rest of the like, village people That's the story. weirdest thing I've ever I seen. I never heard of such a thing. The village people <laughs> would prefer Trump stop using their music at his rallies, but uh, the cop thing is only from the one The cop list. is still there. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it looks like The Onion, the website that wrote this. Robin, you oh, can't, okay, cause I you can't tell me that website. stuff because I'd be going around the rest of the day. I, I'd be upstairs. Honey, do you hear that the village people <laughs> fired the policeman? Well, I couldn't wait to tell you. I said, this is I mean, the craziest thing I've ever heard. Uh, I never heard of a story like that. The story I know that is true, Alicia Silverstone, who is the... Um, Actress from uh, Clueless. Clueless. Mm-hmm. She she is announcing that she is taking baths with her nine year old son while in quarantine. I saw that too. Let me tell you something. Uh, look, I am not the greatest parent in the world by any means. I'm sure, my kids could give you a list of things about me that's just fucked up. But one thing I know is not to bathe with an, a, a child who is nine. Why you don't is do she that. doing that? I don't know. Does anybody know? 
Well, back in, in like a couple of years ago, I don't know when it was, she also made headlines for pre-chewing her son's food and then spitting yeah. it into his mouth. Yeah. Uh, oh, she's right? claiming she makes... Yes, that is true. And she's claiming this just makes her feel comfortable and safe and together during this, this COVID time. So it's not for together. her son, it's for her. I, I'm assuming she means for the both of them to feel comforted and safe, but I don't. I can't get in that. I'm going to tell you something. I had a friend who was many years in psychotherapy, probably his entire life. He's no longer alive. This friend of mine, he, uh, his mother used to sleep with him every night in bed. Not not sexually, but I mean, she slept with him every night, and like, like I don't know what the fuck went down, but this fucking guy, he was on medication, he was on every fucked up thing because it was too much for him. Like it was was the, he older was, than five? Oh when yeah, oh Jesus. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm I mean, you. at some point you start getting night boners, and you know, I mean, it's weird. Listen. I saw my mother naked once. I'm still not right from it. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was fucking traumatic. I saw it. She walked out of the bathroom. She didn't know I was there. She didn't have a towel wrapped around her. I saw her titties. I saw her bush. It was fucking nightmare. I mean, uh, <laughs> Alyssa Silverstone wants to take a bath with someone. I'll step in and bathe with her. Make her feel I don't think it's a good idea to, first of all, bathe with your nine-year-old. And second of all, announce it to the world. Yeah, Eventually, I would keep that quiet. that child will see other children. And oh, they anyway. will know that he was bathing with his mom. Maybe it's a fake story. Maybe it's like the, the story Maybe it's about... like the village people's story. I hope it right. is. Yeah. Howard, sorry. The, the, the story came from the New York Times, this one, so... Fake news. <laughs> Fake news. <laughs> <laughs> and they buried it, too. It was like at the bottom of their profile. I was like, geez, I would have led with that. Listen to this, um, AVN, Adult Video News, the, 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 the people who, you know, they're the ones who review porn and stuff. And they do they the up, porn awards, yeah. They do the porn awards. They are now changing. This is when you know things are really changing out there. They will no longer use the term interracial at the porn awards or other ethnic categories in porn. So when they give out the awards, they will no, no longer say best interracial scene. Because that implies that uh, there's something odd about it. Right. What do you think of that? Well, when it gets to the AVN, the whole world is going to change. That's what I mean. Once porn, yeah, this gets is affected. big. This is big. <laughs> yeah. It's all over for racism. You know, and I have to examine my own porn needs because I notice I watch all white porn. It's always uh, oh, we've white talked dudes. about this before with you. Yeah, but I, I think it's because I want to imagine it's me as the white guy. I'm even watching now. Yeah, I try yeah, to find porn yeah, where there's yeah. older white men getting older. Sex. They got to be yeah. older now. Yeah, elderly. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe uh, that's uh, something I have to explore. Should well, I be we've watching? We've talked about your racism before. That's right. That's racism. <laughs> Systematic. We also talked about how you don't, uh, what was it? You don't read, when you go to read those columns in the New York Times about how people get together. Yes. Don't you only limit it to a certain group? No. You're only how would I know that? Are you huh? crazy? No. You said that to me once. Oh. 
Really? I don't remember that. <laughs> you bet. Listen, I don't trust you since you told me the police story since from the village, the village people. People story. Right. Well, I'll tell you it news and radio. Like a real story. I'll tell you one thing about the radio industry. Um, one of the um, I was reading this that the radio stations are usually called urban. Black stations are called urban stations, and now they're no longer going to call their format urban for some reason. I'm not sure why, but it's evidently that would be racist. Well, then you're who's applying, making that decision? I don't know. I just read it. Because they stopped calling them something else before that. Yeah. I, I love how we always change terms but keep policies. You know, I don't know. Like urban. We've been we've been uh, colored, Negro, Black, and African American, but racism still exists. You know, changing the names doesn't make a difference. The uh, this is just in, Robin. The Indian chief on The Simpsons has just been fired. <laughs> well, no, the Indian can Hank Azaria has been under fire for doing that impression. Yeah, I think Hank stopped doing it, actually. Yeah. He didn't want any part yeah. of it. He was like, fuck this. That's for um, real. Yeah. So there are and now maybe the there. village people will throw out the police officer now that it's made <laughs> I think that's a great story. I, I'm going to run with that. Uh, yeah, I got a bunch of stuff to do, but we'll do it tomorrow. It's enough of a show today. We spent a long time with Sean Penn. Uh you know, but I, I was really encouraged by what he's doing. Well, that was very thought provoking. I loved it. Yeah, me too. All right. We'll see you tomorrow. We'll see what's happening tomorrow. Bye.